0: A friend of W. C. Fields, the famous comedian of an earlier era, once found a comedian in his dressing room prior to a performance reading the Bible. When asked why he was doing so, the famously irreverent man looked up and equipped that he was just looking for loopholes. He then closed his Bible and put it away. well today we're coming to the seventh of God's Ten Commandments, and people have been looking for loopholes in this commandment for a long, long time. The seventh commandment is quite possibly the least popular and the most often broken of God's Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. In 1631... In a reprinting of the King James Version of the Bible, the word not was left out of Exodus 2014. And as a result, this edition of the Bible is known as the Wicked Bible, or the Sinner's Bible. The printers were fined 300 pounds, which is equivalent to about $70,000 in our, our money today, and they lost their printing license. The majority of the 1,000 Bibles that were printed were destroyed, but 16 copies are still housed in libraries around the world, and there are a few that are known to exist and be held in private collections. Most recently, one sold in 2015 for $99,500. So if you like to go to tag sales and estate sales, just keep your eyes open. You might find something that you could turn into some ready cash. Well, I wonder, when is the last time that you heard anyone mention the word adultery in the course of a normal conversation? Adultery is a word, and it is a concept that has virtually disappeared from our culture. In most settings, not only is adultery no longer discussed, it is rarely, if ever, labeled as a sin. In the culture at large, if adultery is considered at all, it is likely to be labeled as nothing more than inappropriate behavior. Someone might possibly confess that they have caused pain to their marriage or that they may have let their spouse down. But adultery is far more than inappropriate behavior. It's far more than causing pain to one's spouse. It's far more than letting them down. Inappropriate behavior is wearing jeans to a black-tie dinner. Adultery is sin. Adultery is sin against God. Many cultures and many religions have prohibitions against infidelity, but most of these cultures and most of these religions define adultery as an offense that occurs between people. But this is not the case with God's people. God's people do not draw a dividing line between their obligations to others and the covenant relationship that they have with God. Adultery is a crime against God. And Satan works to corrupt all that God has made good. Marriage and sex within marriage are among two of God's greatest gifts. So it is no surprise that the devil works overtime to attack marriage and sex whenever, wherever, and however he can. Within the realm of these two great gifts, Satan sows seeds of misunderstanding and perversion and pain. God is for marriage. God is for sex within marriage, and marriage and sex are part of his original design. Listen to how God lays out his design for marriage in Genesis 2, 18, and then 21 through 24. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Skipping down to verse 21. So the Lord Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Adam and Eve are made for each other. God's design for man and woman is that they complement one another. As good as all the animals are, no animal is capable of complementing Adam. God must make a specially designed partner, a co-laborer for Adam. And as those who are his own divine image bearers, God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Notice that God's first command to his people is a positive prescription. It is not a negative prohibition. Have children. In humanity's sinless state, there is a sexual urge that leads to the procreation of children. This urge is divinely created. This urge is not evil. Both Adam and Eve are naked and unashamed. They enjoy what God has created for them in perfect innocence. There is nothing wrong with satisfying and fulfilling sexual desires when they are done in the way that God ordains. God intends for our sexuality to be enjoyed and celebrated in the context of the parameters that he puts around it. The Bible is quite candid in its recognition that satisfying and fulfilling of sexual desires is a legitimate human need that draws people together in marriage. Our holy, righteous, completely pure God delights in the tender expressions of sexual love that occur between a man and his wife. The Bible teaches that in marriage there is to be no shame and no constraints limiting sexual expression. The marriage bed is to be undefiled in 1 Corinthians 7 3 through 5 teaches that husbands and wives are to be responsive to one another's sexual needs. When they marry husbands and wives covenant together never to be neglectful of each other's sexual needs. God invented sex for the pleasure of those who enter into a one man, one woman, one flesh relationship. God wants his people to uphold and treasure all the rights and privileges of marriage by honoring and treating them as divinely instituted blessings from his hand. And that's what they are. In Ephesians chapter 5, God tells us that the special relationship that exists between a man and a woman in marriage is a picture of the unique relationship that exists between Christ and his church. As husbands love, lead, and sacrifice for their wives, so Christ loves, leads, and sacrifices for his church. Kevin DeYoung, in his book on the Ten Commandments, says it is not a rhetorical exaggeration to say that the gospel itself is at stake in our definition of marriage. But although marriage and sex are part of God's good design, sins, presence in our lives, wounds and scars, every aspect, every dimension of our personality, because no part of us is untouched by sin, the sexual side of our nature is part of our fallen state. And as a result, this is one of a myriad of facets of our personhood that needs continual instruction and guidance and correction and training in righteousness from God's Word. God provides the seventh commandment to protect our personal purity as well as purity within marriage. The seventh commandment safeguards the gift of marriage and it promotes the flourishing of family. Commandment 7 protects our personal purity, particularly as it relates to sexual thought and action. Though the 7th commandment is succinct, its implications are far-reaching. The 7th commandment forbids more than just cheating on your spouse. This commandment has both spiritual and physical dimensions. We are not to defile or to debase or otherwise devalue the quality of our relationship with Christ or with our spouse by dabbling in any form of impurity. In Mark 7:21 through 23, Jesus reminds us that our hearts are the home of evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. In Jesus' list, the phrase sexual immorality translates a single Greek word. The Greek word is porneia. Porneia is defined as unlawful sexual intercourse... Prostitution, unchastity, and fornication. I think you can easily see the relationship between this Greek word porneia and our English word pornography. With respect to our sexuality, Jesus forbids any and everything that deviates from his natural created order. In a sermon on the mount Jesus shows how serious and how deeply he wants his people to be protected in the purity of their thoughts. Jesus says you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now being tempted is not a sin. But entertaining and feeding the desire that temptation brings along with it is a sin. Adultery is a matter of the heart. Paul hits home the seriousness of sexual sin in 1 Corinthians 6, 15 and following as he describes the way that anyone who joins him or herself with a prostitute is guilty of linking Christ himself with harlotry. Your heart, the words of your mouth, your whole body is meant to reflect God's purity. This is important to him. This is why Jesus died for you. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. How it would revolutionize our lives if we would recognize that those of us who have accepted and received God's grace belong to him. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. It is not your life to do with as you please. It is his life. He is in control. He is calling the shots. Any sexual thought or relationship except with the person to whom one is lawfully married is sin. Sex before marriage. Sex Outside of marriage, pornography, bestiality, sex between men, sex between women, incest, and the lust of the heart, any sexual expression apart from expression within the boundaries of a biblically defined marriage between one man and one woman is forbidden by God. None of us are immune and none of us are without guilt when it comes to the seventh commandment as much as we would like to think it is not the case we are all bent by sin and we are all inclined to succumbing to temptation in this arena in first peter 2:11 peter tells us that these things battle against our souls peter writes beloved i urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. It is only by the grace of God that any of us have the ability and the opportunity to escape the corruption that is in the world. Countless lives are destroyed and shipwrecked because people underestimate the power of sexual desire. Before they know what is happening, they are emotionally entangled and sexually involved with fantasies and with people whom they have no intention of getting involved with in the first place. Any form of flirtation can lead to a tragic moral failure, and there is no such thing as an innocent flirtation. Once a thought begins in your mind, you are entering into the road of probable pain and possible Ruin, it's only a matter of time. Since we saw some of the white stuff out there this week, and since I had the privilege of seeing some pictures of children who were delightedly sledding down hills, I thought about tobogganing for a moment. And I thought of the way on a toboggan you would have six or eight people loaded on it, and at the top of the mountain, as it just begins its downward descent, somebody yells, stop! It's going to go down the hill with you on it, dragging you all the way whether you want to or not. And sexual sin is a lot like that. If desire is not restrained in the first instant that temptation strikes, it is terribly difficult, almost impossible to stop. It's like the toboggan starting down the hill. Beware of the early warning signals of mental activity. Our sexuality is so volatile. Any activity that you engage in that makes it more difficult to control your sexual desires and urges should be stopped. It should be nipped in the bud. Any exposure to pornographic material, internet, magazines, TV, videos, movies, music, romance novels, it's like tossing lit matches into barrels of gasoline. It is dangerous, dangerous business. Pornography is addictive. It is overpowering. It is destructive. And in a group this size, it is statistically probable that there are at least a few here today who are addicted to pornography. And if that's you... If you are involved with any kind of pornography, get help. Stop it immediately. Remember, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Make yourself accountable to someone who will help you to stand strong and resist Satan in this very degrading, debilitating battle. Do not underestimate the power of sexual desire learn how God intends for you to understand and interpret and control your thoughts and urges. Now, you did not need to come here this morning to learn that society's values with respect to issues of sexuality and sexual morality are increasingly permissive. The culture around us says that full, unrestricted sexual expression is your right as a human being. No matter what God says, no matter what you said at the marriage altar, no matter who gets hurt in the process, if you find yourself powerfully attracted to another person, you owe it to yourself to act on these desires. This message is machine-gunned at us every day in thousands of clever and ingenious ways. And such messages take a toll on all Of our values. It is estimated that more than 80% of all sexual encounters represented on TV are conducted outside the context of marriage. One writer notes that the increasingly permissive values of the society make us feel like puritanical chumps for being faithful to our spouse. The story is told of a luncheon held at a popular women's club at which the speaker asked the group, how many of you have been faithful to your husband? Only one woman raised her hand. Later that night at dinner, a wife told that story at home, and naturally the husband asked, were you the one who raised your hand? No, the wife replied, but I haven't cheated on you. I was just too ashamed. I was too embarrassed to admit it. It's more than likely that you will be considered the odd man out if you are someone who still believes in this antiquated old law and you have nothing to brag about in the locker room. Obeying the seventh commandment in today's world is a terribly lonely experience. But adultery exacts a high price. A high price is paid by all who violate this commandment. There is a marital cost, the hurt, the sadness, the sense of loss that are always just below the surface when adultery is committed. And a lot of people pay the price, children, spouses, friends, parents, grandparents. There's also a credibility cost. Your reputation and your character are ruined. There's a cost of regret. I wish I could roll the clock back. And there is then also the often overlooked cost of divine discipline. Divine discipline. God loves us so much that whenever we violate any of His commandments He does not allow us to live in sin. God steps in disciplines and chastises us in order to wake us up and get us back on track. Those whom God loves, he disciplines. Hebrews twelve five and 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. As much as God loves us, the author of Hebrews also reminds us in Hebrews chapter 10 that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to come under the wrath of God when it is stirred. If you fall into the pit of adultery, you have every reason to live in a righteous fear and terror of God's wrath falling on you. Yes, confession and repentance will lead to forgiveness by God. And by his grace, restoration and reconciliation are possible, but lasting lifelong consequences may ensue. Think of David and Bathsheba. David was forgiven for his sin of adultery, but God's righteous wrath resulted in the death of their child and the fact that unresolved turmoil was a factor in David's Family for the rest of his life. God can and will discipline me and discipline you in any way he wants. Our sexual urges are powerful. Society's values are becoming more permissive. Marriages are becoming increasingly more difficult. How will any of us be able to stay? faithful to the Lord and to our spouses by obeying the seventh commandment. What will it take for you and for me to obey the seventh commandment for the rest of our lives? Well, first of all, a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. The powerful, surging leading of the Holy Spirit, alive and at work within you, will compel you to hate whatever is evil and to cling to To whatever is good. When the Holy Spirit is in charge of your life, you will be reluctant to pursue sinful activities. Old Testament Joseph is an outstanding example of a man who was in vital union with God. What gave Joseph the strength to flee temptation? When approached by Potiphar's wife who wanted to commit adultery with him, what was Joseph's reply? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph simply would not compromise his devotion to God for a few moments of pleasure. How vital is your relationship with Christ? Does it need to be turned up a notch or two? Secondly, have a sober-minded view of your own sexuality, Be wise as serpents and gentle as doves is Jesus' advice. Be very wary of the early warning signs of sexual temptation. All of us will at one time or another be in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person under the wrong conditions or with the wrong electronic device. And if you haven't prepared yourself, you're likely to stumble. What have you done to prepare yourself for that moment. Recognize, admit to yourself that your sexual desires are extremely complex. They're terribly powerful. And then thirdly, develop a discerning attitude toward our permissive society. There comes a time when we all have to say, enough is enough. I will no longer let certain forms of input have access to my mind certain websites books magazines tv shows movies parties social activities will no longer be allowed to undermine my purity spiritual surgery must be performed for the sake of spiritual purity whenever you cut off a particular kind of input or activity or experience that or experience the purpose of sexual purity god is honored. So develop a determination to enrich your own marriage or your own singleness for singles who are here today. If a couple is carefully enriching and inspiring and nurturing and serving one another in love, the odds of infidelity are greatly reduced. So discuss ways to enrich your marriage. And for singles, singles rejoice in your singleness. Rejoice in the opportunities that It provides for you to serve the Lord in extraordinary ways. Recognize in your life the difference between love and between lust. Fornication, adultery, lust, they are all grievous to the heart of God. So we need to guard our hearts. And by the grace of God, God's grace can cover any sin. God's grace can cleanse us from all impurity. God's grace can forgive us. Because why? Not because our sins aren't that bad. No, they are. But the fact is that Jesus' sacrifice is so overwhelming. It took the blood of Christ to cover the stain of sin that rightfully belongs to us for violating God's commands. The cleansing work of Jesus Christ is